broadly speaking, looking forward, renewable thermal will become an increasingly disproportionate part of my day and how I spend my time. It already occupies a tremendous amount of bandwidth, a tremendous amount of resource. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the first episode of Smart Energy Voices Season 3. I'm John Fiella. We're kicking off the season with an engaging conversation that I had with Zephyr Taylor, Global Director of Renewable Energy, Mars Inc., during our recent Renewable Energy Forum, where we discussed Mars's progress against their Sustainable in a Generation Plan and the company's ambitious emissions reduction and renewable energy goals. You're in for a special treat as this episode of Smart Energy Voices features bonus content exclusive to this episode of Smart Energy Voices. There's a lot to learn, so let's dive right in. Zep, why don't we have you start by giving us a brief description of your of your background and, and your current role at Mars. Great. Sure, John. And first, let me thank Smart Energy Decisions for welcoming me here to provide the opening keynote for the June event. Happy to be here and look forward to attending the event. So a quick background on myself. I spent my entire career in renewables. So I'm a one-trick pony, so to speak, in the space. Worked across the public and private sectors. Done a lot of project development, transaction advisory, finance mobilization, market design, policy regulatory reform work. And in my current role at Mars, I'm the global commercial head of renewable energy. So I oversee all of Mars's renewable energy sourcing and actual the, the actual buying process. So that includes development of the sourcing strategies globally, transaction structuring, negotiation and execution, supplier relationship management. And in my capacity in leading the global category at Mars, I develop the governance, guidance, standardization for how our commercial division, which is a basically our term for sourcing procurement, pursues these renewable energy deals. Generally speaking, long, a moderately illustrious career in renewables. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're being very modest, Zeph, you know, when you say you're one trick pony. I mean, you've been in renewables your whole career, but the diversity of things that you've done is really very, very impressive. As you mentioned, public sector, private sector, developer side, corporate buyer side, you've done a lot and looking forward to exploring those experiences with you here today. Renewable energy is just a part of Mars's broader sustainability plan, which which I understand is, is referred to as sustainable in a generation plan. Can you tell us a little about the kind of the broader goals associated with that plan, your carbon emission reduction plan, and maybe the the way that renewable energy fits into that? Absolutely. So the sustainable in a generation or SIG plan is really encompassing two key categories. One, healthy planet, which is effectively the environment side, and the other is focused on 
healthy people and general social issues. So I support in my capacity as the renewable energy commercial head, the healthy planet side of the equation, so the environment side. That broader context of that sustainability initiative is decarbonization. So our first and foremost goal is to reduce and eliminate our CO2 emissions. Our internal goal is 67% by 2050 of all of our emissions. Mm -hmm. And our scope one and two emissions, 100% by 2040. Renewable energy is effectively the strategy to address our direct emissions as represented by scope one and two. And so pursuing renewable energy deals because the vast majority of our direct emissions come from our energy use is the strategy that we use to decarbonize ourselves. Additionally, we look to support the decarbonization of our supply chain in our broader 2050 goals as well. Well, you've been really active building a global renewable energy portfolio for, for Mars. We'd really like to get into your experience there. Tell us a little about the journey and maybe kind of start with your activities in the U.S. and expand on what you've done in Europe and other parts of the world. Sure. So the U.S. was actually our first market to do a major power purchase agreement in prior to my time joining Mars, actually. And that was executed in 2015. And it was a large wind farm in Texas. And at the time, that covered 100% of all of our electricity needs for the country. It was, I would say, a fairly novel deal structure, particularly Mm -hmm. looking back six years ago from today, where these VPPAs and CFDs are much more vanilla and commonplace now. But at the time, there were just a few of those in existence and underway. That really set in motion the global perspective of addressing our renewable energy needs through large offsite deals, first and foremost. And then where those weren't, envi- weren't available, we would look for alternative deal structuring options like on-site, behind the meter, shorter term, kind of piecemeal compilations of different types of deal structures to achieve as much renewable energy coverage in any given market as possible. So after the U.S., we executed a deal for a wind farm in Scotland to cover our U.K. electricity load, a wind farm in Mexico to cover the entirety of our electricity load there. And just this year, we've finally reached commercial operations on a large solar farm, which you'll see behind me in my background, in Australia. We have a number of other deals that I've recently executed and worked with, with my global team, and we have an extensive global pipeline as well. So I'd be happy to talk a bit more about the kind of commercial approach uh, that I lead to developing these sourcing strategies in each respective market, what some of the challenges and opportunities are there, and what some of the best practices and learnings that I can hopefully share with the audience are. Sure. Before we get into that, I have to ask, how big is that array behind you? Well, it's approximately 200 megawatts. Mars Uh doesn't account for the entirety of it, but it does cover currently 100% of our electricity load in Australia as well. And it's developed by Total Loren. It's one of the largest renewable energy projects in the country. And so we are happy to be a part of it. Yeah, awesome. Is the approach to developing uh, projects and sourcing strategies similar in in different parts of the world or are there are there broad differences tell us 
tell us a little bit about kind of the different approaches that may be required for sourcing renewables in, in different markets across the globe? It's a great question, John. I would say yes and no. There are certainly commonalities in the way you would approach evaluating different markets, different renewable energy deal structures, the fundamental understanding of the technology platforms themselves, interfacing with commodity markets, et cetera. There is a tremendous amount of commonality amongst markets there. But to a large degree, that's where it ends. Mm -hmm. As you well know, energy writ large and specifically renewables are one of the most hyper-localized markets and sectors that there are for any commodity. So the way the energy is bought and sold, key market participants, the counterparties to any deal, the regulatory environment, those all differ quite materially between markets and particularly so between the more developed and relatively more deregulated markets that you might see in the deregulated parts of the US, the RTO and ISO environment, Western Europe, et cetera, and some of the emerging markets. It's interesting because you can have situations where you have markets that have a very highly developed renewable energy sector from a manufacturing and a developer and an EPC perspective, but the regulatory commercial and contracting environments are such that you can't easily contract bilaterally with renewable assets like a lot of the viewers to this session are used to doing in the US, for example. Uh -huh. so one of the key learnings that I would always try to convey is don't think that the process that you underwent in signing a deal in Texas or somewhere else in a deregulated market here, you'll be able to easily and perfectly transpose to another market. It really requires every individual market taking a unique approach there to do the market assessment, understand the stakeholder and regulatory landscape, understand the market risks and design, and understand the sourcing solutions when you're building out your overall go-to-market and commercial strategy there to get the best deal structure for your company. It really is such a hyper-localized pro process, even sub-national in many cases, where, mm -hmm. for example, we just executed some several deals in India where effectively every state was an entirely different and unique energy market that we had to develop a unique sourcing strategy for in terms of the types of deal structures we were looking for, whether it was on-site, off-site, how that interfaced with various policy and regulatory dimensions, specifically ones that underpin the economics of the deal, for example, avoidance of taxes, levies, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I think that that's one of the, the most challenging and in many ways the most exciting parts of building a global portfolio of renewable energy deals is you really have this unique start from scratch process in many ways in every market that you go to. And maybe one other final thought on this topic is that there are some markets where you fundamentally do not have an obvious contracting option to cover 100% of your energy needs. Uh -huh. In many markets, there are no such thing as an offsite bilateral PPA that you can execute. So in those situations, I've steered us towards on-site behind the meter solutions. And then we're kind of take a wait and see kind of holding pattern approach, if you will, with the hope and or expectation that these markets were, will further liberalize and allow for bilateral off-site deal contracting that would provide that 100% coverage. And I think for more specifically, 
our sustainability sourcing policies kind of work in tiers. And our first option is we want to have a direct contract path to an asset we can point to and we have project attributes coming off of that asset. And we can say this is the renewable source for our electricity or energy needs more generally in this market. So buying unbundled attributes, for example, we would look at as a last resort. And so myself sitting in the commercial division and thinking about what's the best sourcing strategy in terms of economics, risk, while at the same time ensuring adherence to those sourcing policy guardrails would always look for a direct bilateral contracting option with a renewable asset itself as the, the optimal outcome. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. I mean, that really puts you in a unique position. Those that concentrate in on sourcing in just North America, they, they would tell you that understanding the nuances in each part of the country is regulated market, deregulated market, which ISO they're operating in, the thought of that type of variability in different regions of the world make building a, por- a portfolio like you have quite quite challenging, I would imagine. Would that, Seth, be considered kind of the biggest challenge you, you faced, or are there other key challenges you've addressed in, in building out this global portfolio? I would say that is probably the single largest challenge, just identifying sourcing solutions that work mm-hmm. commercially and work from a renewable energy credibility and verification standpoint in our global markets where we operate. And Mars has a quite extensive global footprint, as you can appreciate. So that does present itself as probably the single most challenging aspect of our targets. But I would be remiss in saying that the sheer scope and scale of those targets is also a challenge. I mean, it would take a tremendous amount of resource for us to be able to solve for every one of these markets very quickly. Although I'm very confident that we'll hit the targets that we have set out before us and we have an incredibly ambitious approach to those and we have an organization from the top to the bottom that is sincerely committed to hitting those targets. It is a tremendous resource need. And so there's a lot of work to be done. It's a great challenge. Very exciting, very stimulating. I love my job every day, but it's certainly when you when you look at a global portfolio like ours and you recognize that you have to cover 100% of that by 2040, it's a significant lift. And maybe the last thing, and I think this is something that can often be lost, maybe at least conceptually when you have companies go out and sourcing renewable energy deals, is that these deals do end. Even though they're long-term, they are not a kind of a perpetual indefinite coverage situation. And so you can find yourself in a situation where right when you've achieved 100% coverage, whether it's in one specific market or globally, you have contracts that are constantly in some cycle of expiry and needing to be renewed, replaced, et cetera. And then a second dimension is once you've hit 100% coverage and you've been publicly stating that you have to maintain that with a high level of credibility. And so if you were to make an acquisition or have organic growth, some combination of those Ah. two, we would always look to very quickly get back into that specific market to address whatever additional load we've brought into our portfolio. Interesting. These reflections on your experience are extremely valuable because there's been a definite trend in number of attendees at our event that are interested in international procurement has been growing consistently and dramatically. So 
these reflections are very, very valuable. So thank you for thank you for sharing your experience. What's next, Zeph? You know, you've accomplished a lot. You've got this global portfolio. What's next for your your renewable procurement strategy globally? What what will we be talking about 24 months from now with you? Well, it's a combination of continuing to check off our large electricity project needs. Mm-hmm. We tend to prioritize our global pipeline by greenhouse gas emissions footprint on a country by country basis. Mm-hmm. So that's always occupying significant degree of my attention and bandwidth. Secondarily is Mars's renewable energy targets include our thermal usage, which is principally natural gas burned for industrial process and our gas boilers at our factories. That is in many ways a fundamentally different challenge than solving for renewable electricity needs mm-hmm. from a commercial perspective and even from a technological perspective. That industry or subsector of the energy space, if you will, when it comes to renewables is much more early stage, a lot more pilot projects happening, particularly in things like hydrogen and even anaerobic digesters, where you have a certain amount of that's very plug and play, but you have kind of unique situations, kind of a wildcatting environment to some degree, which is great on one hand, and it can be challenging on the other. So I would say that Broadly speaking, looking forward, renewable thermal will become an increasingly disproportionate part of my day and how I spend my time. It already occupies a tremendous amount of bandwidth, tremendous amount of resource, and gives me a lot of headaches, but also is, <laughs> is really challenging and exciting to be able to figure out what are the most viable commercial models to integrate into our global portfolio of energy use that can replace our fossil gas and do it in a way that is cost-effective, the economics are acceptable and attractive to the company, the technology works to allow us to continue producing all the great products we produce, that's really critical to addressing the renewable thermal side of the equation. So. Yeah, well, that's a great point. I know that when the focus was on getting to 100% renewable electricity procurement, that was kind of, that was one thing. And industrials were, when the bulk of their load was thermal, they didn't necessarily have to pay a lot of attention to that. Now that the goalposts have moved from percentage of electricity that's procured from renewables to decarbonization targets and emission reduction targets, industrials have really now had to work very, very hard to figure out how they're going to decarbonize their thermal loads. I'm curious, I just have to ask, what would you say is is the biggest challenge that you anticipate in, in that piece of of your role going forward? I think it's identifying the most scalable and replicable technology and commercial solutions. If I have to go around the world and set up a bespoke, customized structure and use a wide variety of technologies in every different market for every individual factory, I think that sets you up for both no economies of scale in your commercial approach to these deals and just, I would say, too much diversity to a degree where you effectively have pilot projects all over the place. Now, Mars is very comfortable being on the vanguard, kind of pushing the envelope of different technology solutions. Mm -hmm. But we do that with an eye to identifying ones that can become more turnkey and plug and play that we can look at and say, these make sense they're scalable and replicable. And part of the reason we do that is not just for our own benefit to co- to meet our targets and do so in an economically attractive, 
technologically viable way. It's also to help pave the way for technologies that can be commercialized to a much greater degree and larger scale globally for sure. corporates, municipal off-takers, everyone. And so we want to support commercialization of viable technology solutions as much as possible. So in doing so, I really look at wanting to identify replicable and scalable options that we can deploy far and wide to our factory network around the world. Yeah, well, that makes a world of sense because that not only works to your benefit, but as others adopt those scalable, replicable technologies, the cost comes down for everybody. I'd like to get a plug in here for the Renewable Thermal Collaborative, which is a group that's formed that's kind of focused on that topic. I believe Mars may be a member of that. That's a working group that's that's focused on that specific issue. Well, Zeph, that was a great recap of your experience. This is this is now my my favorite part of conversations with really smart people like yourself, where we get to know you a little better in preparing for our conversation. I obviously checked out your your background, and and you've got a fascinating career path with really kind of high level education and numerous experiences, all touching different elements of the renewable energy world. What attracted you to environmental studies out of out of the box? And tell us about the road you've traveled to get to where you are today. To some degree, it was probably always ingrained in me to have a concern for the environment. I grew up in a quite minimalist household that really valued and cherished resource conservation and mindfulness. And I think both that household and the kind of the broader community that I grew up in really connected me to an appreciation for how can we preserve natural resource, but not just in a manner that means curtailing human activity. And I think I also have always brought with me a very pragmatic, moderated approach to environmental work and Mm -hmm. and kind of mission-driven engagement in the sector and saying, listen, humans want to live their lives and they want to enjoy a certain amount of material wealth and comforts, et cetera. I don't think the best goal is to try and curtail all of that. I think it's to find a middle ground. How can we be more thoughtful on the way we use resources? How can we reduce consumption here and there without completely eliminating those creature comforts? And how can we do that in a way that's as environmentally friendly as reasonably possible? the same time while saying that you know having a tremendous enthusiasm for working in the climate and renewable energy field as i always have i'm also mindful of the realistic transition specifically the energy transition from a technological standpoint mm-hmm. i really think the best way to end up with a clean energy economy is to do so in a way that's that's disruptive but not catastrophic and that's from an economic standpoint, it's from an infrastructure development standpoint, and it's from a social standpoint. So I think I've always really sought to try my best to steer the aircraft carrier towards a more environmentally sustainable and friendly trajectory and future, but do so in a way that can be more inclusive for a wide range of stakeholders. And I think that is, that is really the key, is figuring out a way to be as inclusive as possible, but also 
to listen to the concerns and needs of the myriad stakeholders that invariably are connected to the clean energy space. So, Yeah, there's a thread between many people that I've had the great pleasure and honor to, to talk to about this topic, where very early on, they knew they wanted to do something around making a difference and just making the world a better place. Jigger Shaw, his dad gave him a book on how the sun could be a great source of energy when he was a young person that and that influenced him. Rob Drelkel from GM, who I know you you know, he's as a kid wanted to make sure that maple syrup was going to be able to be produced properly and he was concerned about acid rain. So he's been interested in the environment since he was a young person. And, and it's interesting to hear how your background as a young person and being oriented around the environment and mindfulness kind of led you here. In looking at your career path, I mean, you've been in advisory roles, you've been in analyst roles, you've worked for developers. You, How have your different career experiences kind of contributed to what it is you're doing today? Well, as you note, it's been fairly varied, but consistent with the energy and renewable energy specific themes. I mean, first and foremost, I've been very fortunate to work at both a number of really great prominent organizations in the space, but more importantly, to work with a lot of really great colleagues and professionals without which I would have none of the expertise that I have and would just barely be treading water if not drowning in the space. So I've really, but looking back on my career, I really feel like it's the people that I worked with that I was able to learn so much from that have kind of made me what I am professionally today. And so I'm always feel fortunate for that. You know, in terms of where I kind of sit at Mars now, I would almost say it was a perfect storm of experiences leading up to my current role, a combination mm-hmm. of developing large, complex renewables and clean energy strategies at highly decentralized and global organizations, doing direct project development, transaction advisory, finance-oriented work that really gets to the meat and the heart of these deals that Mm -hmm. provide kind of that deep expertise. Negotiating, which is critical for someone sitting in a commercial capacity (laughs) such as myself, though my wife probably would prefer if I didn't negotiate so much. Though my young daughter is such a good negotiator that I feel like she's the number one in the house now. And I find myself constantly just giving her whatever she asks for. And then later questioning, how did she get that out of me? <laughs> so I think it's been kind of a confluence of factors that have brought me to a place to where I'm, I'm sitting in an organization that I feel really great about in terms of the commitment organizationally to the, to this world. My function specifically, which is a combination of kind of team leadership and guidance, right. talent development internally, providing kind of governance frameworks and policy steer, as well as a lot of technical input and oversight. And then that direct engagement that I typically take on our larger projects where I sit first chair on a negotiating team, et cetera, or am the lead negotiator. And I would say what is needed at our or at Mars really from the category leadership perspective is kind of all of the above. And you really do, in my opinion, have to have that nuanced knowledge and insight about the policy and regulatory aspects, the project specific development aspect, you know, the transaction specific development aspects, the finance side of the equation, 
and the kind of broader context around why renewables are being done and what's going to make them successful in any various market. And then aside from all that, I think it's just the professional skill set of team leadership and trying to champion causes and build a sense of ownership and buy-in at a highly decentralized global organization. Organization, yeah. Excellent. You know, you've obviously accomplished a lot. What accomplishment are you most proud of? You know, that's an incredibly difficult question. It's almost like asking me, who my favorite musician is. And I'm one of those people that I, I don't have a, a, any one right. musician. I have a number that I would point to and say, I feel really good about that. So I might demur on that question, John, and say, I, I don't want to pinpoint one specific thing that I've ever done in my career. That's my single greatest accomplishment. But yeah, I feel like at every stop I've made along the way in my career, I have some things that I feel quite proud of that really have in the aggregate represent kind of the culmination of who I am now and where I'm sitting at Mars and, and Mars specifically, I've been very happy to really support the institutionalization of our renewable energy sourcing work, particularly in the commercial division where I sit to really organize that in a much more coherent, intentional way and bring into the world of renewable energy sourcing, deal structuring, et cetera, a lot of incredibly talented associates that work in in my team and in the commercial organization where I sit to bring them in and harness their expertise, even if they don't have a background in renewables. And so I feel quite proud and satisfied of seeing the fruits of that labor and seeing really that talent development happen and, and seeing associates, my team, hit some some home runs, so to speak, on complicated project deals and getting them across the finish line. So excellent. I mean, you know what my follow-up question has to be to this, right? Who's your favorite musician? <laughs> 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 what kind of music do you like? Uh, I'm all over the place. Yeah. Uh, I'm heavily favor classic rock and old blues and quite yeah. a bit of world music. But I'm all over the place. You know, I think I have a, a pretty diverse range of musical tastes and I try to get out and see live music as much as possible. So I like old Appalachia style singer songwriter music to some of the newer stuff that's coming out. So I gave you the typical yeah, answer yeah. that I telegraphed <laughs> I would, which is yeah, no, no answer at all. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. No, but varied, varied interests. Man, I think everyone's looking forward to being able to get out to see live music again. I have found lately that different types of music put me into different moods and it's kind of, okay, where do I need to be and what music can I play to get me there? Who's had the greatest influence on your career, Zeb? I would say there, again, no one person, but I can think in my head of, as I alluded to earlier in our discussion here, a, a number of really unbelievably talented colleagues and broader professionals in my community that I've had the opportunity to, to work with and learn from, benefit from their knowledge, mentorship, and guidance. It's not a single person, but I really feel like in my head, there's this collection, this group of people that every step along the way has been a, a tremendous asset in my development journey. And so I always look for informal and formal mentorships in every role I'm in, I always look to learn and water my tree, so to speak, from everywhere, everywhere I am. And that includes learning from 
peers, junior associates, senior leaders, et cetera. I think there's a tremendous amount of knowledge out there to tap into and, and benefit oneself in their career journey. If you just have that open-mindedness and that constant change and enhancement mentality, if you will. Okay. You're tough. I can't get you to give me a good straight answer on anything, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This you is wanted it. me this... to say, oh, this person that did this one thing this one time. No, no, I understand. I'm not going to get you to do it. I respect it. I've re- I'm really enjoying the, the conversation and how thoughtful and considerate you are. So you're a young guy. You've accomplished a lot. I mean, looking looking forward. What do you hope to accomplish during your career? You know, 20, 25 years from now, what do you want people to be thinking about when they think about what you've accomplished in your career? Well, I hope I'm retired in 25 years. Certainly not that young. (laughs) Uh, I would be very proud and happy to to look back on my own career and feel like I made an incrementally or transformationally meaningful impact on every organization I was at. And Maybe more importantly, to be able to look back and feel like I shared knowledge that I had with my colleagues and peers in a way that multiplied that impact and vice versa. And I would hope that others would look upon me if they were able to say, where would I end up in 25 years and say, yeah, I, I was able to gain something valuable by working with Zeph. And, and that's a two-way street very much so. And so that's that's really what matters to me. I mean, I, of course... Given philosophically my commitment to the space, to renewable energy and the climate issue writ large, of course, I would love to see tremendous progress on that front. And I would be very proud and, and happy to look back and say I had a I had a material impact on that space. And so that's another thing that I always hope to be able to do is to drive meaningful change, macro level change that that really moves the needle on a global level. And to a large degree, I feel like I've been able to accomplish that. Lots more work to do for myself and for everyone on that front. But to date, I feel quite content on what I've been able to achieve. And the outlook ahead looks very promising. I'm excited and eager to uh, continue pounding away on the issue. The desire to make a difference, I think, is what drives so many people in this space. And you've clearly, you've already made a difference. You're making a difference now. I'm really excited about seeing what you accomplish going forward because I think you're certainly going to do a lot more. And what a treat and a pleasure for me to be able to have this conversation with you and get to know you. We're honored to have you both as a keynote speaker at our Renewable Energy Forum and as a guest on Smart Energy Voices. And can't thank you enough for spending time with us and keep up the great work. And I really look forward to seeing what you're going to accomplish going forward. Thanks, Zephyr, for sharing insights on your journey and the plans for Mars going forward. We look forward to continuing to watch the progress that you and the company will make on your global sustainability journey. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for listening and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, 
Click on the link in the show notes for more information. At Smart Energy Decisions, we're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition like Zeph in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.